Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen. This is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome to another episode of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell-Danielson, together with my co-host, Rob Cockrell. Hey, all. So today we're chatting with Everett Anderson, Vice President and Head of Advanced Product Development in Nell. He's going to fill us in on the history of Proton Onsite, one of the companies that makes up the Nell hydrogen we know today. He's also going to give us some insight into the hydrogen industry in North America, particularly the U.S. Before we get him on the line, though, it'd be interesting to hear what kind of things H2View has been covering in the U.S. this year. Anything new and exciting going on, Rob? There's always something new and exciting in hydrogen, Lila. Uh, and speaking of new, though the audience can't see it, of course, I'm sporting my new purple tie, specially selected for these podcasts. Oh, we're bringing you over to the purple side. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is podcast three now, right? And I figured I should really get my inner now going on for you. So here it is. I've gone from blue to green to purple. See what I did there? <laughs> I did see that. So tie this week, maybe a purple shirt next week. We could really start channeling that inner purple. We really should. Who knows what will be on by episode six. Anyway, uh, that's enough about my wardrobe. We should really get back to hydrogen. Fair enough. Uh, and I think we should have a really great conversation in store today if what we've been seeing at H2 View this year is anything to go by. There are so many different talking points in North America right now, not least whether it's time for the region to kick on again and make up some ground on regions like Europe and Asia that have taken some big steps forward recently. Oh, interesting. I'm betting Everett will have a few opinions on that one. And let's get him on the line. Everett, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a great experience for me. Awesome. So Rob and I were just chatting about hydrogen in the US and how the region is working to gain ground on other global hydrogen movements. But before we dive into that, however, I'd really like to hear about your background and how it led you to a career in hydrogen. Cole's notes, how'd you wind up here? Well, I, I've actually been working in hydrogen and fuel cells my entire career, believe it or not. Uh, after uh, a bachelor's in chemistry way, way back in the dark ages, I, uh, I joined a small uh, electrochemical R&D, a small business that did contract R&D and got into uh, hydrogen and fuel cells then, working on things like electrocatalyst synthesis for phosphoric acid fuel cells and hydrogen halogen fuel cells and other things like that. So had quite a long career in those areas. I worked uh, basically uh, for a couple of companies in the Boston area for a long time. And uh, again, doing fuel cells and related technologies. I also got my MBA along the way uh, because I really saw that I didn't really want to work on these uh, third-party government contracts and end up just writing a report. I wanted to to see, you know, these technologies kind of go from uh, from the lab into the commercial market. So that was that was a real passion of mine, and that's really how I ended up getting to uh, Proton Energy Systems, which is now Nell Hydrogen US. I uh, I met one of the eventual founders of Proton um, during my uh, activities in in contract research, uh, and he after they started the company, he, he was the CTO of the company, and he reached out to me to. Uh, uh, to join. So uh, that was uh, about 20 years ago. And it really fit my uh, criteria being a company that, that was committed to, you know, taking technology from from the laboratory to the commercial world. 
ever for someone like me that's only really an honorary member of the Nell family for these podcasts, uh, what's the story of Proton? Well, it's a very interesting one. The the, the founders uh, of Proton worked basically in um, a large aerospace company, United Technologies, doing PEM water electrolysis, but for aerospace and uh, and undersea applications where the oxygen was what was uh, really the, the value product. So generating oxygen uh, in confined spaces for life support. And they had the vision of looking at that same technology and saying, hey, we could, we could make a hydrogen commercially out of this same technology. And so uh, back in um, 1996, when the, when the company was founded, they, uh, they raised some venture capital money and went out on their own. And the fascinating thing is that their business plan in 1996 is essentially the same as it is today. Create a business, a sustainable business for industrial uses of hydrogen, on-site hydrogen generation, in anticipation of the emerging energy markets uh, in energy storage, in transportation. And so uh, so I, I give a lot of credit to that, their vision to, to be able to do that. So in 2000, with the kind of the bubble, uh, the hydrogen fuel cell bubble that was going on with uh, Ballard going to the public market, Plug Power going to the public market. Proton uh, went public as well. They raised uh, well over $100 million and, uh, and really set them on a pathway uh, to be um, a leader in this, uh, you know, in this hydrogen electrolysis industry. So Everett, the company formerly known as Proton Onsite became an official part of Nell Hydrogen in 2017, but the Proton name lives on today. Can you tell us a little bit about that? With incorporation into the Nell family, uh, we didn't want to lose the uh, the value that we thought the the Proton name had in the market. So what we've done is we've kind of switched the Proton name over to the brand of uh, of the product itself, the electrolyzer product itself. So pivoting back to the topic Lila and I were discussing earlier, let's talk about hydrogen in the US. Uh, like the global industry, hydrogen has had a lot of ups and downs there. Could you give us a brief overview of the history of hydrogen in the USA and perhaps how that parallels with Nell's history there? Uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly has uh, a lot of parallels. As I mentioned before, you know, Proton's beginnings were in step with kind of the, the increase in, in interest in hydrogen and fuel cells kind of in the early 2000s. Uh, there was, uh, along with the fuel cell companies that I mentioned, there was uh, a lot of support from the, the federal government at the time. They, they had announced a I think it was a one billion five-year program to uh, to jumpstart the hydrogen industry uh, in the U.S. and that really helped uh, Proton as well um, at the time get uh, funding activities. But I think as the hydrogen fuel cells has experienced, it was kind of uh, maybe overpromised. Uh, technology wasn't quite ready for prime time, and so. Uh, the industry kind of suffered from that. A, a follow-on administration, there was a kind of a switchover, you know, kind of focused on batteries. There was a famous statement by then uh, U.S. Department of Energy's Secretary Chu stating that, you know, the fuel, hydrogen fuel cells would need four miracles in order to uh, uh, to be successful. And that really certainly hurt the industry overall. It sent signals to the investment community, you know, not to invest and uh Fortunately, things turned around. There was a kind of 
a change in strategy to kind of this all uh, all of the above strategy in which hydrogen and fuel cells kind of were integrated back into uh, at least an option in looking at uh, low carbon or, or uh, green uh, transition. And interestingly, you know, today, Dr. Chu is actually a big proponent of hydrogen. Certainly the, the automotive OEMs getting on board like Toyota and Honda and Hyundai have, have kind of rejuvenated the interest. And most importantly, the dramatic reduction in the cost of renewable energy has really changed the economics for the ability to produce low cost hydrogen. And so I think that is really what's uh, kind of now driving this energy transition. And even in the U.S., although uh, definitely Europe and uh, and Asia Pacific are, you know, have a have a leading kind of position on, on that based on their kind of progressive view. But I think if you look at the Department of Energy in the U.S. here with their hydrogen at scale program, really, it really highlights that uh, that there is a, a big interest in the U.S. to kind of move to this uh, green hydrogen technology as well. If we if we roll back a little bit to the, say, the early 2000s, and you mentioned that there was a lot of interest in hydrogen then, but the, the technology wasn't quite ready at that point. If the tech wasn't ready, what was it that sparked that interest at that point? Certainly, after the internet bubble investment, the financial community was looking for the next kind of internet. And so fuel cells kind of became that... Uh, that next investment vehicle kind of thing. So, and I think, I mean, even just look at uh, an example of Proton, you know, we, I think we raised $150 million in September of 2000. We were valued at over a billion dollars. And I think I was the 46th employee. So there was a certainly kind of a disconnect between where we were kind of commercially versus what the market was valuing. And I think the the expectations got out ahead of kind of the maturity of these companies. It certainly propelled us um, as Proton to uh, to really drive forward and and you know address the issues that we had. And I think we came out of it as a a very sound you know kind of uh, industrial products company that that focused on the right things. But there was a uh, a gap between getting there and, and what the expectation was in the market. Okay. So what's different time? What do you think makes it, uh, makes this uptrend that we again now believable? Well, I think, I think across the industry, you see a much greater level of maturity in the product offerings, in the technology. From the automotive side, the vehicles are, you know, are certainly light years ahead of the prototype vehicles that, you know, were, being introduced, you know, a decade ago or more. I think from the Nell perspective, we've had uh, decades of experience now in the marketplace, uh, selling products into industrial customers' hands, uh, addressing the needs that that have been generated just by basically that experience, honing our product, um, going through uh, several iterations of the designs in order to make them more robust, more reliable, uh, more cost effective, and so I think that's that's really allowed us to be in a position to now scale the technology up to larger to larger production rates, and have products that really commercially can meet the needs of uh, of these markets as they mature now. 
I'd like to jump on the back of that one, if I may. Um, you mentioned living through more than a decade of the hydrogen breakthrough being only two years away. I haven't enjoyed quite as many years in the hydrogen sector as you, but I can certainly testify to the kind of yo-yoing that's happened in hydrogen over the last decade or more. Do you think we're past that now? I really think we are. If you look at just simply the level of activity that we're getting in terms of interest from all sorts of uh, various sectors, and also the size of the companies that are now uh, basically uh, making these bets in in hydrogen kind of thing. I think it's moved to a different level. You know, you didn't have the the large NGs of the world, you know, investing in hydrogen. The Amazons, the the Microsofts, the I mean, the uh, the Googles. The I mean, they're they're really now kind of getting on board with this. Not to mention the plans being put in place um, in Europe to uh, to move forward um, at gigawatt scale with electrolysis and the real, you know, kind of work to integrate that into this energy transition and, and show, you know, the real value of this uh, kind of moving forward. I think I think the society has kind of caught up with uh, the need to move to uh, away from fossil fuels. And I think and and our product technology has kind of uh, matured to the point where it's ready to to kind of uh, for a marriage between those two. In your experience, what makes people believers in hydrogen? I mean, you mentioned, for example, Dr. Chu, who was once skeptical, but you believe is uh, is now on the uh, the hydrogen bandwagon. What causes that kind of change? Well, I think I mentioned before. I think the linchpin is this low cost renewable energy. I think you have to have that in order to to compete with uh, fossil-based, you know, hydrogen production. But but clearly, you know, as you look today, when you're putting in new power plants, wind and solar are cheaper than than fossil-based uh, power plants in terms of uh, of generating electricity. So that's clearly the the evidence that says our ability to take advantage of that moving forward. I think is uh, is really going to offer big dividends in terms of uh, being able to generate that low-cost hydrogen. And do you think there's enough believers in the U.S., Everett? Um, I mean, I hear the view a lot that the U.S. needs to catch up again with other regions like Europe and, and Asia, for example. What do you say to that? Well, I think certainly the current administration is much more focused on natural gas uh, and obviously well supported by the oil and gas industry. But there are there are certainly uh, plenty of uh, of believers that you really need to move away from that. I think in the U.S., I think certainly the Democratic Party. There's a lot more, I would say, policy work and interest, um, kind of away from a, a fossil-based kind of economy. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough to 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 move that uh, opinion. Obviously, the the economics for 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 low cost natural gas are uh, are incredibly powerful in the U.S. and so I think having to kind of put some type of price on carbon is is really the way to moving forward to be able to kind of level that playing field. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk a bit about the the technology. Let's talk about PEM technology. What's happening there? Uh, there's a lot of great work going on with us uh, on the Penn side, really kind of pushing the technology forward. I think the, the the biggest thing that we're working on right now is kind of the next generation, next larger size PEM cell stack. So we're in the final stages of basically a megawatt scale 
stack will then be integrated into a product platform to give us a multi-megawatt system for the, for the market. And I think what we did there really is the engineering team looked at the, the current designs that we have and went out to our suppliers and tried to identify kind of the maximum plan form kind of size that we could, uh, that we could design to really without taking on excessive technology risk because we didn't want to overstress our suppliers and then end up with quality or reliability issues. And so the result of that design effort was really the, we have a, a cell active area that's the largest in the industry. And I think it also shows that it's uh, really a very cost-effective solution for us kind of moving forward. So we're excited about that. I think the other area where uh, where we're doing uh, making a lot of gains is really on the manufacturability side. So obviously, as as the interest in in uh, electrolysis continues to increase, the volumes will go up, uh, and you have to move from kind of a hand built design to something that's more automated. And so we're looking at a lot of roll to roll type process capabilities, how we could implement those in order to drive down the labor cost component, but also drive down material costs within that. So there's some tricky components within the electrolysis stack, like the, the porous transport layer on the oxygen side. And so, you know, as an example, we've, we've just won a program with the Department of Energy to look at alternative kind of transport layers, how to make them at high volume it's some of these kind of areas that I think uh, Dr. Kathy Ayers, who's vice president of our research and development group uh, here in the U.S., will be able to talk in kind of more detail, I think, in, in a subsequent podcast. But uh, really, you know, roll to roll processing of our membrane electrode assembly to drive down costs, all, all those kind of things are, uh, are really where we see enablers for moving the, the capex of the PEM electrolysis down to where it can really compete at large scale. I think that's a really interesting uh, interesting talking point there. Um, when you talked earlier about your background, you noted you really like the idea of, of taking technology from the lab to the commercial world, and, and you kind of referred to some of the excitement there with the, the manufacturing and the scale up. Can you give us a bit of insight into that process and, and what, what that involves? Well, I think certainly one of the things that Proton has always prided itself on is a very strong marriage between kind of the lab and the manufacturing floor. And so making sure that uh, from very early on, the people that are involved in kind of developing kind of the advancements in technology uh, are working really closely with the folks that actually are going to have to, you know, implement that um, from a, in a manufacturing environment. Uh, so I think that's key. I think I think the other thing is you really have to work with partners that have knowledge on these, you know, on, on this uh, high volume manufacturing. So we do a lot of work with, for instance, the group at the National Renewable Energy Lab out in Colorado. Uh, they've got roll to roll processing capability um, for MEAs that they've been developing to support the fuel cell industry. So again, I think one of the, one of the advantages of the PEM electrolysis is that uh, a lot of technology has been developed to support PEM fuel cells. And I think a lot of that uh, learnings and already kind of spent, uh, you know, kind of R&D uh, dollars can be uh, redirected, if you will, or applied to PEM electrolysis with only a marginal increase in, in kind of additional funding. So I think that's 
that's where our focus has been is to kind of leverage those learnings in, in the Penn fuel cell community in order to, you know, hopefully accelerate the cost curve uh, reduction um, on the Penn uh, electrolysis side. Sure, that's a fascinating insight. Everett, still on the, the technology side now, I'm going to reel us back again to um, Proton Energy Systems. You mentioned was, mentioned was started off as a branch off from a focus on water electrolysis being used for life support in underwater and space applications, and that uh, then Proton was focusing more on commercial applications. But now still works with life support applications, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, actually, it's... Uh... It should be a, a business case study and I'll explain it. So uh, certainly, as you said, um, United Technologies, thats that was their business in water electrolysis was, was for life support applications. Uh, about maybe 12 years ago, uh, they looked at a, a cost reduction activity and uh, for their for their water electrolysis uh, technology and did a make versus buy kind of analysis. And what they decided was it was cheaper to outsource their next generation electrolysis stack technology to Proton than it was to invest and do it themselves. So actually, we underwent a a design and development program with United Technologies for their next generation stack. And that resulted in a a cell stack technology that gave the Navy a 60% cost reduction, but also resulted in a, in a very good business for uh, for Proton as well. So today we, we uh, in addition to our kind of industrial products, we produce these uh, cell stacks for Navy life support for, for submarines. And we've supplied multiples of stacks to the U.S. Navy, uh, the Virginia class submarine, uh, but also uh, stacks for the U.K. Navy and the French Navy uh, through a partnership with United Technologies or uh, I guess their their name now is Collins Aerospace. So it was really a win-win situation for us and for them. But uh, ironically, the the group that Proton came out of, United Technologies, now relies on Proton to provide that same technology back to them. Quite remarkable. So kind of a roundabout story there. Yes. You were also mentioning uh, the recent national and multinational hydrogen plan announcements. Are there any key points there that you think we should be highlighting today? Well, I think I think the key there is the broad level of interest, the broad participation in large multinational corporations uh, really shows, you know, the the commitment to this technology for the future. Really, when you start looking at decarbonization in these various sectors, everyone always points to kind of uh, battery technology for the transportation sector, which you know certainly has a role in the light duty sector. But it's very difficult to decarbonize long haul transport um, with batteries. It's very difficult to decarbonize heating, industrial uh, applications of hydrogen uh, without uh, basically. Uh, green hydrogen from electrolysis. So I think certainly we're very excited to be able to provide technology into those sectors that I think will uh, will enable the goals of these programs to get to you know eighty percent plus uh, carbon reduction uh, across all these sectors. Sounds like we have a lot to uh, look forward to in the coming months and years. Then absolutely. So we are unfortunately just about out of time now, but briefly. What are the key takeaways you'd like listeners to get from our chat today? Certainly, 
when people think about Nell and about our proton PEM technology, you know, I hope that they understand, you know, the the experience and the longevity that we've had in the market producing products for real commercial customers uh, under those, you know, kind of stringent commercial requirements. And that really we are second to none in terms of having that experience uh, and that customer base. And I think that's that's a really important kind of foundational piece uh, to be able to succeed commercially in these emerging markets going forward. There's a lot of other electrolysis companies out there. There's new ones that are starting every day. But to have the experience of, of more than 20 years in the marketplace, you know, they don't know what they don't know yet because they haven't been through it, whereas we have. And a water electrolyzer is relatively simple uh, when you look at it uh, kind of on paper, but really to get all those pieces to work and work reliably and for a long period of time, I think that's what we offer the customer. And uh, and I think we also have the robust technology roadmaps to be able to support the cost reductions that are going to be needed in order to, to make success uh, of this technology for the decades to come. I think the history speaks for itself there. And of course, when it comes to applications, I mean, Nell has been working this for close to working with this for close to a hundred years now. So definitely, we've got the uh, the background that uh, shows what we can do. Thank you so much, Everett. This has been a fascinating discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Layla, and uh, hopefully, we uh, we have success in in these other podcasts going forward to be able to give people interested in in hydrogen a a closer look in at at what's going on. Absolutely. Thanks again. And Rob, I'll hand it over to you for any last thoughts. Thanks, Lila. Thanks, Everett. Um, Yeah, great to hear those thoughts uh, on how hydrogen has finally broken out of hype cycles and into reality, how it's moved past those four miracles that Secretary Chu referred to in the past. This is definitely hydrogen's time, as we all know and champion at both Nell and H2View. But I also found it interesting, Lila, to hear Everett echo that growing feeling that the US or wider North America needs to catch up with the kind of progress being made elsewhere in the world. Because he's deeply entrenched in the US and, and in the hydrogen space, as we heard, and has been for decades now. So he has a really great understanding of where that market is at. And finally, it was also interesting for me to learn a bit more about the histories of Proton and Nell. Uh, what an intrepid adventure that has been. Uh, but I know I'm certainly preaching to the converted already with you, Lila, on that one. You're definitely preaching to the converted there. And as a North American myself, I'm watching the region with a lot of interest. Uh, of course, the main focus needs to be on hydrogen's growing role in the energy transition globally. But then I figure a little regional competition doesn't hurt and probably accelerates that growth. All right. Well, we could probably talk about this all day. It's probably time to wrap up this episode, I suppose. So thanks for everything today, Rob. I'm already looking forward to next week's episode. Me too, and thank you. And I'm off to dig out that purple shirt. (laughs) I'm going to have to be careful or you'll be outbranding me soon. A big thank you to our audience for tuning in to this episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. We'll be back next week with more Hydrogen Talk. Until then, thanks for listening.